experience, bitch. Prepare to experience Beige, the podcast where two longtime friends discuss all things science fiction and fantasy. And we are now into, what are we into? The 12th episode. So that's pretty exciting. Thank you for coming along on this journey. That means we're also in the 12th episode of the third season of Discovery. So let's jump right into that. I think we'll go on a limb and here and say after three kind of subpar episodes in a row, two of those of course being our misguided detour into the mirror universe and kind of a setup to this ending three parter that uh, both Hugo and I felt felt kind of fell flat by the end of it. I thought this was really a return to form for the season, and I thought it was a fun and exciting episode, but since I have a habit of talking too much, I am going to throw it to Hugo so he can give it, give us his thoughts. Yeah, wow, what a redemption after how disappointed we were in the second half of last week's episode, Dave. I The episode just started off great, right? Like, what an opening, a cool opening. Like, in the middle of an action scene, it just kind of jumps in, discoveries it being attacked. And I mean, if you've been paying attention, you kind of figure it's a ploy by Osara. But also just kind of a need to see action in Discovery mm-hmm. this season, which is which is kind of funny because I feel like previous seasons of Discovery have had almost too much action. Um, but one of the things that this season has lacked, uh, which is fine, although it's always fun to see in Star Trek, is space combat. Mm-hmm. We had that one battle against Osiris ship a few episodes ago. And other than that, we really haven't seen um space combat this season uh, to any significant extent uh surprise space combat has not changed in 900 years <laughs> it's, yes. it's still big starships just pew pewing at each other apparently <laughs> um, but still kind of a, a cool opening immediately kind of sets sets the tone for the episode high pressure um and then you have you know uh, burnham and book kind of taking this transwarp conduit which which i have to say that was actually really the only main misstep of the whole episode <laughs> to me. Uh-huh. Like, like I mean, I had far fewer nitpicks about this episode than almost any other episode. But but that transwarp conduit, I feel like it's, it, it's too much of a crutch for a, a season that is established like, oh... You know, it takes forever to travel anywhere now with the with the with with the reduced dilithium power, uh-huh. <laughs> and everything is so far away. And oh, the Federation hasn't seen its outpost in a hundred years. Oh, but look, here's a convenient transwarp conduit between this planet we happen to be on, that where the burn started, and Starfleet Command. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that because, and they didn't really. To their credit, they didn't dwell on it. They're like, this is a plot device to get us to where we need to go. And like, then I was like, okay, show, whatever. But I, I thought I missed something. Because all of a sudden, they were like in this... Uh, I didn't know what it was at first. I think I must have missed a line of dialogue. It's like, what is happening? And then, and then, like, there's all these destroyed ships in it. And then they get to where they're going. It's like, oh, it's a transwarp conduit. Uh, Which is funny that this is uh, maybe there was a throwaway line of dialogue in an earlier episode or something. But I don't remember this coming up before. But then you're like, hey. That's true. What happened to those? Where did those go? And like, I guess they don't use them because they're dangerous. But whatever. It was just like a plot device to just get them where they needed to go. But it was, yeah, you're right. It didn't really work. 
and yeah, it didn't work, but it it was a cool sequence, and like you said, it was it was they were pretty self aware. <laughs> like we just gotta get them there. Um, you know, you know, stepping aside actually before I go further in, I I feel like that issue um, highlighted for me one of the the few but but significant problems this season has had, and 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 because they address one of the concerns I've had throughout the season later on in this episode, when they mentioned that when Stamets said, you know, it's, it was a unique one-time thing. The tardigrade DNA bonded with me. Uh-huh. We've tried replicating it. It doesn't you, work. You mean where this episode has established that apparently uh, uh, off screen, everybody's been trying to duplicate this technology, including future Starfleet, and they have been unsuccessful. So all this time, we've been asking for them to address this. Apparently, this has all been going on off screen, and now we, they info dump us all in one episode. Exactly. That part? <laughs> that, that part, yes. Where they answered our question, which it didn't make sense it took them this long. Uh, but, you know, that that that, that scene in the Transform Condrinal, it kind of highlighted for me what what I think is the one significant misstep of the season, and I think it's that they sent us into this new world, basically, right? This new setting for Star Trek. And you have characters who are new to the setting as well. And while they did some world building, you know, with Michael and Book, Michael being like, oh, what's going on here? What's happening? And Book sort of establishing the new parameters, what the burn is, you know, the couriers, everything like that, the Emerald Chain... I, I feel like the season as a whole would have been far better served if instead of taking this two-episode detour to the Mirror Universe, <laughs> if they had just spent one or two episodes, you know, you remember back back when they made it to Starfleet, and then it was like, oh, we made it to Starfleet, and then next episode's been like, ooh, the last few weeks have been, a, a, you know, we've been <laughs> refitting our ship and training in the new operations. Ooh, we that was now, <laughs> our nacelles can now be separated from the body of the ship. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Why? And they never explained anything. They just kind of hand-waved it. You know, they should have spent a two-parter where the crew adapts to to life in this era. I mean, mm-hmm. and in those two episodes, you could have scenes of Stamets, like, being tested and, you know, working with Starfleet to get this developed. You could have scenes of, like, uh, Detmer learning about the new the, the how how to navigate in this new post burn world, yeah you know Michael and Saru sort of learning about the the new uh, nature of Starfleet. Apparently, there's Starfleet president. So yeah, that was another funny thing. Like uh, the president can't talk to you until I talk. She's like, what? I thought I, I was unsure. I, I am taking the show at its word that there is a president and this is like the protocol. But it's like. Is this guy lying? Is he, is there really not a president? Because we've never seen the president, right? Well, and it's just it, the whole setup just is is. I mean, it's fine. It's like the far future. It doesn't have to make complete sense. But again, I just feel like things like that. Like, what is the structure of the Federation? What, so you don't have Earth, and you don't have Vulcan, you don't have Andoria. Like, you don't have most of the founding members. But apparently, there's still a lot Kelpians. of humans. <laughs> you have Kelpians. Um, you have a president, and apparently Starfleet is now in this big shield bubble. I, it just—it's not a problem. It's not bad, right? Like it, it's kind of cool to have some mysterious things. But again, I just feel like a lot of the stuff would be more impactful if they had just spent an episode or two building out. You know, even even something like the other question I've had, which they haven't addressed. It's fine. It's because it's it's discovery. But the other issue is like I, I thought for sure they were going to sign them. Um, 
the admiral's um, assistant, um, oh. the, the lieutenant, as like a liaison with Discovery, where mm-hmm. like she was going to be the commanding officer, you know, um, yeah. or or something. It's it's just very odd to me that guy that from the first episode or second episode or wherever where he i thought he was going to be part of the ship and i i misread the situation but i was like oh cool they have a guy from the future i guess book is that but the guy from the future who works for the federation is going to be like you said like a liaison i thought that's what they were setting that character up and then he just never appeared again so it's just really it's just the whole setup is just really odd it'd be like if we had you know sailors from the revolutionary war show up now and we were like oh let's refit your ship to be a nuclear aircraft carrier have um, fun but you don't need anyone from our you don't need anyone from our you know from now like to help you run this well, ship. you would think that would be a fun storytelling yes. aspect where you're yes. like oh we get a new character some fresh blood and there's going to be conflict because they're going to want to do it their way and uh-huh. the discovery crew is going to want to do it their way i yeah i'm surprised they didn't want to do that just i just think there was like potential for interesting storylines there but, and um, I, I think it points to kind of like with the with the president not being shown. I, I think it just points to like for, we've talked about this before. For whatever reason, there's a reluctance on the part of the of the showrunners here to showcase any characters beyond our main cast. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked about that problem with the bridge crew, um, but you know, they just they just don't want to for whatever reason <laughs> mm-hmm. add. You know, we added book, which is great, but like it, it just feels like in this show, you're either part of the main cast or like you just they're just not going to bother with you. <laughs> yeah, although we did get to they did get to kick a little butt the the bridge crew this episode. It was a kind of brief. I thought the full the whole episode was just going to be them taking down the taking back the ship like sec, section by section, but but they got their brief moment to shine where they're uh, taking it back a little bit, but yeah, it was it was it was kind of nice to see that, and and so, but you know, despite those nitpicks and that that sort of sort of structural critique to the season as a whole, I thought this episode was fantastic. I I I mean, what did you think, Dave? I thought this was prob this was not probably this was easily the best of the season, and I I, I mean, I'll have to think about it more. It may be the best episode of the whole series. Well, I I want to uh, piggyback on a couple things you said. What you know. It's funny that you mentioned, like, you know, to paraphrase, he was like, what could we have done instead of that two episode, two parter into the mirror universe? I was thinking kind of the same thing when we got this episode, which, and it's just the timing and the placing of that two parter where it's right before. The, the end of the season, where this, the end of the season is kind of like a three-parter, it's just really killed momentum. And I'm just, I had kind of the same thought, but what I came to was, what if we had, you know, I, I agree, it would have been great to see more about uh, you know, future Starfleet and what's really going on, how maybe how they tried to get the, uh, the mycelial network to, to work properly and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I was thinking... With the turn that we see from Osira in this episode, maybe it would, we could have spent a little more time with her and the Emerald Chain uh, to kind of set that up. Uh, may, I'm not saying that we give them a two-parter necessarily, but just a little bit more there. Um, and I'm because I'm thinking, take out that two hours, you know, from the the mirror universe, and there's all sorts of things that could have been put in there to make the season as a whole a little stronger. And the other thing I'll say, uh, just kind of how we were saying there was like 
fewer nitpicks in this episode. I actually had written a nitpick down, and then the show addressed it uh, in later on in the episode. My minor nitpick was, how did they crash Book's ship into Discovery? Like, that, like aren't they going to just get destroyed by the shields? Like, it's like running into a brick wall, I would think. And they're like, and then Osiris asked the same question, how did they get in here? Like, oh, they must have, you know, snuck in right when the shields were lowered so they i guess they could get into the the bubble or whatever um and again these things aren't necessarily that important in the grand scheme of things whether they you know that's why they're nitpicks but i thought it was kind of funny that i wrote a nitpick down and then they actually (laughs) decided to address that one whereas usually they don't that was Uh, the other nitpick i had though with the bubble with it was it was kind of hilarious to me (laughs) how you have the most important ship under fire Coming into Starfleet headquarters where you have, what, 100 ships, 1,000 ships, more, all hanging out. And and the Admiral and Starfleet HQ are just kind of like, what's going on? What should yeah. we do? Should we let them in? It's like, you don't have to let them in. Why don't you launch the fleet and destroy, like, the flagship yeah. of the main rival organization in the galaxy? It was, that was a big problem. Because, yeah, not – so – We've, they've already established, so this ship is supposed to be scary, but, it, you know, and I know that they, we made fun of it last episode, it's like, don't we fixed our plot armor from last time, but yeah, it got taken down by Book's ship, you know, so we're not really, the audience isn't really that scared of this ship, and you have this, like, fleet inside, like you said, that you can, uh, you know, t- fight off this thing, at least get it to leave Discovery alone, Let you know, let alone maybe you can destroy it, like you said, but the other thing that bothered me about that whole sequence it just didn't make sense but we see them like okay lower phasers to 10 percent. we don't really want them to harm us like can't they determine with their sensors they're not firing at full strength like it just like wouldn't they be able to tell that this is not really happening like this is for show like mm-hmm. they're they hit they keep hitting them but it's not doing any damage like oh that doesn't make sense like it just seems like they should have been able to see through the ruse but whatever it was kind of they needed to get them in there um i i will say um the part of the reason i enjoyed this episode so much is because of the turn like the Asira turn that i did yeah. not see yeah. coming at yeah. all right. and so i am willing to forgive the steps to kind of get her in that situation because I always expect, I mean, I'm sure you were too, is going to be like, I am the big villain and I'm going to call the shots here and you're going to do exactly what I say or I'm going to destroy the ship or whatever her, you know, plan is. Mm-hmm. And then she wants, to, her, her plan of wanting to join, not only her plan of wanting to join the Federation was like, what? And then at first you're thinking, of course, like this is some sort of ploy and there's only one episode to go, but... Uh, I think we're supposed to take her at her word. They had the little lie detector. Well, I love how they threw that in. They're like, no, audience, this is real. (laughs) She is is not lying. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, and I just thought that was, that was really interesting. And then, and then I was like, okay, but there's like a lot of problems here. It's like, oh, I've come up with these, like with basically all of the legalese taken care of. And he like takes the time to read it. And he's like, you have made a lot of concessions and it's like, wow, they're really going to do this. And he's like, but you need to be held uh, for war crimes. I'm like, go like uh, Admiral. Yeah. Like he's not, you know, cause it, they didn't, in other words, they weren't just waving it with their, uh, waving it away with their hands. Like they do sometimes they were actually taking a moment in the episode 
to explore this and what this would actually look like. And yeah, we've been led to believe that she's a criminal. And even though it might make sense in the whole to unite, there's going to be problems there and they need to be held liable for all the crimes they've committed. And I just thought that was really cool. And then that, but then Osiris, you know, doesn't want to be held liable for the crime she's committed. And I just thought, I, I just found it very intriguing and I didn't see it coming. And I felt that it was a very interesting back and forth. And so what did you think of all that? Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I, th- I the, the way that they sort of overturned our ex- expectations. I, I, I thought too, she was just going to march and be like, haha, I'm so evil. Bow down to me. And it was, it was like, no, here's my plan. My plan was just, I just wanted an audience with some leverage mm-hmm. <laughs> and to, to give you this deal. And I, I think it's one of the more interesting moral dilemmas of, of Star Trek that Star Trek has, has shown on screen um, of any series, right? Like, I, I think that, that this was classic Star Trek throwing out, like, a very difficult, morally complex uh, issue with with really no, no good answer, right? Mm-hmm. I mean... I, I hear you, Dave, when you say, like, yeah, she needs to be held accountable. But actually, I thought I, – and I think it was deliberate. I thought the episode was written and set it up in such a way that part of me thought the Admiral was being a little too sanctimonious and, and idealistic um, in in turning down what was by all by, – by, by the way it was presented, a very reasonable and and – and good offer for for the galaxy, right? And that that I thought the way the episode dealt with that. Um, well, first off, just stepping back for a second, the way it was directed directed and filmed. By the way, I've I've been noticing. I normally don't pay attention to directors on uh, these episodes, but whenever I really like an episode, I do look. Jonathan Frakes again. He's he's, he's good. He knows, <laughs> he knows his doing. Star Trek. Yeah. The man knows his Star Trek. Um, it, the way it was structured, this this episode, I thought was so good, because you have this plot where they're they're trying to you know take back the ship, and whenever we've seen this in any other track or in any show really, you're completely rooting for the crew, right? Yeah, take back the ship. These are you know they've stolen your ship. They're the bad guys. Uh, but here, I I mean I was rooting for them to take back their ship, but I was also kind of like. But don't take it back too fast. Like Osiris making a really interesting ah, offer. That's funny. <laughs> and and I think that was deliberate how the episode was paced in that way. In that you you as a viewer you kind of were rooting for them, but also kind of rooting for Osiris to get her, you know, get get this get this offer out and and have the admiral listen to it. Um, and I thought the offer itself was really interesting because we knew she wasn't lying um, mm-hmm. because of the hologram. Uh, it was very thought out, as you said, and and <laughs> stepping back from it, right? Stepping back from the the issues of the fact that she's a terrible person, in in the larger sense, in the needs of the many, the the people that the Emerald Chain has enslaved, the 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 pre war planets that they've exploited, you know, all these people that they've harmed, that they've victimized. That they've killed, like if they were, if under the terms she offered, it seemed like the Emerald Chain would stop all that, right? Like they would free their slaves. It had something like, yeah, it would, they would go back fifteen years or something, like 
were they I, I like they weren't just going to cut them off as right it was going to it was going to be a phase in phase in agreement right yeah so, that, so they, they weren't just like okay see you they were you know so, I, so their economy could could adapt I think yeah um but I I thought I thought the way it was presented to me was um it was not as clear cut it was it was it, on the one you know on the one hand and actually. One of the complaints I had about this season was I thought Osira, like they have this great actress. She's been in other stuff, and she's a very good actress. And they just, at least so far, we had just seen her as a one-note villain. It was kind of like, oh, she's just an evil space pirate. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of disappointed by that. But again, this episode then used that to make this 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 issue harder um, mm-hmm. to 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 resolve. Because I think if she if we had seen her as much more um, complex and and nuanced, it would be easier to sympathize with her here. Mm-hmm. But no, she is literally a war criminal. She is a horrible, you know, uh, murderer, slaver, right? Like ruler, mm-hmm. and yet she cares about her empire and and herself, and she sees that the path forward for her empire is is to step back from some of those evil things. And I just, I, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 I kind of thought part of me thought the Admiral made the wrong choice. Like in, in the, on one hand, it's like, yeah, she should be held accountable. On the other hand is holding one woman accountable worth the millions or billions of slaves that could have been freed of, of, you know, people s- serving under this uh, terrible regime who could, you know, have more, more opportunities uh, of these pre-warp societies that could stop being exploited is, is, is 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 this notion of justice against her worth the liberation of countless sentient beings? Well, and I think that's why this episode was so interesting. Like you said, it's just like lots of shades of gray there. There's no, you know, purely right answer. And I I enjoyed it. I think more you know, she kind of presents this contract or this treaty or whatever it is and you know, he's like, "Oh, you've made a lot of concessions and stuff." So it's. I like that the show didn't just, you know, go firmly one way or the other. I like that he came back with, but you know, you have all these war crimes that need to be addressed. I, I kind of enjoyed it, in the sense that they kept it murky instead of just like, "Oh, sounds good. I'm gonna write sign on the dotted line here." Um, I I will say, I agree. There's no, uh, you know, like I've already said, there's no purely right answer. I think the Admiral's concerns are that if you join, if the Federation joins with the Emerald Chain, and even though things start getting better, if you haven't addressed the historical crimes and the person who had, you know, she's kind of, you know, we use the term like uh, for um, evil Giorgio, like space Hitler. Well, this is like, current space hitler mm-hmm. so if you let if you if you let current space hitler still could like have authority and still have power then i i would think that a lot of the citizens at least you know maybe the the people that are getting free don't care and maybe that's enough but other people are not going to take the federation at its word or like what is really going on here or maybe the emerald chain is the one in power or you know so i i get where he's coming from that you know this isn't going to work you can't just remain in power we have like and you can't just have uh somebody be a stand-in for you because 
that's going to undermine everything we stand for. And it's going to, even though we'll have a lot to gain in the immediate term, over time, it's going to weaken the Federation and this alliance because it's going to be, you know, a weak foundation. But it, It's an interesting question because, yeah, if you look at real Hitler, right? Like, would there have been any point at which making peace with Hitler in exchange for, say, you know, freeing the Jews and, and stopping the labor camps um, and, and stopping further aggression would have been worth it? Like, I, I, I mean, maybe, maybe not, right? Like, it's a hard question to answer because what's the cost of that, right? Like, with real Hitler, mm-hmm. is you still have Hitler in power and still have this sort of imperialistic Germany, right? Like, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing here. Like, no matter how much she gives up, she's still running this empire, mm-hmm. um, even if you get this other... And, and, and I, I thought it was really neat that they... They almost they they convincingly led me to believe they were going to do it because they spent so much time talking about the question of who would actually run the Emerald Chain. Yeah, and that's why I like this episode. It's like, like I said, they didn't just hand wave things away. Like, you know, you would have expected her. First of all, it was a surprise that she had these terms and wanted to come together and talk about an alliance. And then my, it's like, that was surprise number one. But then I was like, oh, well, this is going to be a ploy or it's going to be unrealistic. But they spent a chunk of time actually hashing through it. It's like, oh, this is interesting. They're, this actually might happen. That's, that's, I didn't see that coming, you know, that they're actually treating it as something worthy of discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say, I mean, we'll have to see. There's only one episode left um, and they're kind of, injecting these um these layers to this character that we previously thought was just kind of a one-dimensional villain so it remains to be seen what they continue to do with that you know next episode because it kind of seems like i gave it a shot and now it didn't work so now i'm going back to full evil which would be kind of a disappointment um but i part i'm kind of bringing this to the episode a little bit, although maybe we were supposed to kind of think this way. I thought she was maybe coming from a position, a little bit of desperation, desperation is maybe a strong word, but not so much like I want to make things better, but maybe she sees the writing on the wall that eventually someone's going to crack the spore drive. And if the spore drive becomes technology that is widespread, then that's going to seriously undermine our power because right now we have power because people are, are, you know, they're forced to deal with us and our couriers because the technology doesn't allow people to travel widely and they can't just, you know, bypass the courier system and trade directly with each other or, you know, explore new systems, that kind of thing. So I felt, and again, I don't know that the episode necessarily set this up, but maybe we're supposed to kind of read into this, that she's like, this isn't going to work long term. Like my system of slavery and like, you know, forced capitalism isn't going to work long term. I'm going to need to uh, do something different because it's if it's not the spore drive, it's going to be something else. Uh, but she seems to think that the spore drive is going to work. And she probably thinks that the Federation probably has cracked this thing or is on its way to cracking this thing. Us as an audience, we're like, what is going on here? Why haven't you done anything with this? <laughs> but she probably thinks that it's a, it's a given that eventually they're going to have this travel that is going to 
be instantaneous essentially anywhere in the galaxy and that's going to severely undermine her authority and power well i like the scientist she brought in too um he kind of, again added more complexity to the emerald chain you mm-hmm. you have this um first of all it's neat to see a disabled person on screen like that and in a prominent position uh you also see the emerald chain you know like has room for other people isn't completely evil um he offered a lot of context for the spore drive uh, I loved his little throwaway line, like, "Ah, yes, you know, this this, this was developed, you know, 900 years ago. That was the the golden age of science." <laughs> well, you know, and that that was actually one of kind of to a point you were saying before was like where we where we could have spent more time with kind of easing the audience and the crew into like this future time frame and maybe have like a liaison on board or whatever. I kind of felt the same way with like the setting and the technology level of the season because it I never fully understood what they were going for because I'm always of the mindset this is 900 year technology this doesn't make sense that it's like they have they haven't done the spore drive or a version of it or you know that the technology is they basically want to have it both ways. So we're so this character is saying that 900 years ago was the golden age of science because essentially because now because such an important technology like the warp drive went offline that it's just kind of everything tore apart and we don't have the 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 science and technology like we used to have but when we first see the future michael is like surprised by by like instant uh, teleportation or whatever they call it site to, which we already had site to site transport in other uh, uh, Star Trek shows, but whatever. There, like, there's just these moments of like, "Wow, it's the future! Look at this!" And I think part of the reason is, anytime you have science fiction far into the future, especially when it's Star Trek, where you have kind of this baseline of technology that we've seen over many uh, series of uh, shows, it's hard to like do something that is futuristic enough that seems like wow this is 900 years of advancement but still allows you to tell like a story that is similar to previous star treks so i think they were between a rock and a hard place but it just i've never quite have been on board with okay it's the future but it's not as perfect of a future as the past and so there is some advancement but not totally but but i just thought it was funny it's like this, it's hard to believe this is 900-year-old technology. I'm like, yeah, it is kind of hard to believe but that it's still more advanced than anything you have. But it's The golden age of science. So, yeah. you know, like that, that line alone, though, made it seem – made it clear like they're kind of in a dark ages, right? Like adva- scientific advancement has stagnated, um, and there's sort of these previous eras that they look back at. You know, they're still in the – they're still like probably not as advanced, but like as eras when like science really was um, flourishing and, uh, and, and cutting edge all the time and – um, so I, I just like that line. I, I like that the character came in and offered context to everything and interacted with Stamets. Uh, I, yeah, I like the interaction with Stamets. Um, and Stamets had a pr- pretty interesting episode. So not only did he have that uh, the, the Emerald Chain scientist to kind of bounce off of, but then, you know, Michael. You know, ver- that was another part of the episode that 
that was interesting and kind of you know more of the moral complexity of like she he wants to save his family mm -hmm. essentially and you know if michael was in his place she would be doing the same thing because we've already mm -hmm. seen like she's willing to do things that you know that she feels is the in the best interest of her or her friends or her family or whatever and you know she doesn't want he's basically too important essentially um to not keep him safe and away from the emerald chain or harm and so i thought that was just interesting just this his whole kind of we came here for you and you're like you're betraying me and like i really hope the show doesn't just drop that like that was a very like harrowing scene so oh uh, it was really impactful i mean the actor played the heck out of it too. Like you felt his anger. I mean, I, I, I was, I was kind of taken aback by, yeah, how, how angry, um, how much anger the show showed in a genuine and deserved way. Michael deserved that, right? Whether she's right or wrong in her decision, she deserved to hear that from him because he's absolutely right. Like they gave up everything to follow her, her here into the future. Uh, and, and you know what was interesting, too? I thought Michael was handled so well in this episode because, first of all, she wasn't perfect, right? Like, she gets stabbed pretty early oh, on to her mission. That was <laughs> another thing. I, I mean, I don't – this – I – just I'll I'll give you back the floor. Just give no go for it. Go a moment it. because that was one of my. I mean, it's weird to say being stabbed in the leg was one of my favorite parts of the episode. I thought this was going to be basically this crew takes back the ship and they're going to be badass and they're going to be unstoppable. And Michael's like at first looks like she's a ninja and she's like getting up on the guy and choking him out. And I, to be fair, I would probably have enjoyed that episode because mm -hmm. I like that stuff. I love that episode where Picard takes back the shit, the, the enterprise and it's basically die hard with Picard and he, and he's just badass the whole episode and he, he wins the day and he, without even really breaking much of a sweat. So I thought that was going to happen. And then she gets stabbed in the leg, like mm -hmm. right off the bat, uh -huh. like very early in her, like, I'm going to take back the ship. And I just thought that was a great moment. Cause like, Oh, we're going to, do things a little differently and this whole episode was about doing things a little differently and i i just got the whole season back on track so anyway go ahead well yeah yeah and that, that's it and i think it what it added from the beginning of the episode i what this what this episode did so well better than i think any episode of discovery has done is it had genuine stakes right you had michael and book rushing in because they were under they had to get onto the ship before like you know the, the window closed and then she has to take back the ship before like something bad happens but she has imperfect knowledge information right like you have a Syrah offering this 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 very uh impactful deal to the federation and and, and whether the admiral accepts or rejects it has genuine stakes you have the crew like trying to take back the ship and 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 not only is there this, the genuine stake of taking back their ship which we presume they're going to but also again the sort of stakes of like if they take it back too fast osiris doesn't make her offer you know and like w what they do can impact that and I, I i thought like and then she gets stabbed and you're like oh okay like <laughs> like you said this is not going to be like the normal like oh the crew's awesome and like takes things back this is like they're gonna have to fight for it they're gonna have to suffer for it and um I, it was neat to see the crew the bridge crew sort of shine it was neat to get an actual they kept cutting to the bridge crew in a in a, in a room under mm -hmm. guard and again that was my nitpick i was like Wait, there's like hundreds of people on the ship. Why are they putting like these five people into one room? Like, where where is everyone? And then they answered it. They're like, oh yeah, we got everyone else off the ship because Osiris is showing that she's legit. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, 
okay show thanks like, <laughs> i'm glad you, you know how it. you said uh, you know when you really enjoyed the direction of episode you've looked at like who directed it uh, maybe we should look who wrote this like because uh-huh. this is to me was better written well it's not even this the script necessarily in terms of the the beats and the dialogue it's just like this was thought of like thought out better than a lot of the episodes especially although to be fair to the earlier part of the season which we have enjoyed the majority of the season it's just it's maybe getting back to that aspect a little bit more but uh yeah i i mean just in every way this this episode seemed to be a little bit better thought out a little bit better considered you know and i i don't know i don't know if it's the the work of a particular writer or not but um I don't know. I've not really ever paid attention to that. Yeah, maybe we should go back and see. <laughs> uh, and I thought Michael's uh, moment with Samets was was what the Michael character is all about, right? What 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 the show pitched her as, like someone who um who makes these hard decisions even even when there there's going to be a lot of blowback. Like um you know, she she came in and, and I thought it was neat too that the show didn't she didn't have perfect knowledge. Neither neither her nor Stamets had perfect knowledge, right? Because neither one of them knew what Osiris' real plan was. And mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting. That they were both... They were both, in a way, making sort of horrible decisions, right? Like, Stamets was being... In a way, very understandably so. Very selfish, though. To be like, no, no, no. I want to basically stay a prisoner. In, on the off chance I can go back and save my family. Uh, not knowing, of course, that Osiris kind of trying to make amends with the Federation. And Michael, likewise, is like, no, 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 you're too valuable. We are not going to risk you. Again, not knowing what the Federation and Osiris are up to. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it was just kind of cool, like, that, that you had these people, like, making these very hard decisions. And and then and then the show went with it, too. I, I, I don't know how they're going to resolve the next episode with Stamets now back in Starfleet custody, right? Yeah. Like, well, transport conduit. Transport conduit, of course. <laughs> yeah, it'll, I have no idea either. Because, And another thing I liked about this episode is, and this sounds a little harsh maybe to the characters who are on in the Nebula, but they didn't go back to the Nebula plotline at all. Obviously, they mentioned it. Um, and because even though we thought the the first part of of the previous episode showed promise, you know, as they kind of started explaining things, they're like, "Uh, oh, this is kind of falling apart a little bit." And we don't even go there at all this episode. I thought that was cool. Like that was good. You know, and so obviously they're going to have to uh, reconcile those two parts next uh, next episode. And I yeah, I don't know how they're going to get back there and how they're going to wrap these things up in an episode. And maybe they'll be left. We'll be left with cliffhangers and you know questions to be answered uh, next season um, but we'll have to wait and see I'm excited to see it because I yeah. thought this was episode was really good uh, the other thing that I'll mention is I don't re- know the remember the character's name but the villain from earlier in this season is back and you kind of thought he well they showed the previously on and he was there so you're like okay I guess this guy's coming back um, and you know with the fact they didn't kill him in that earlier episode suggested he was going to be back I like that that he is back though, because it shows that the show is willing to bring a character like that back, and that they're planting seeds earlier in the season um, for for this. Now, the character I don't know that is that important because in the earlier episode he like comes off as really callous, and he's like willing to just kind of kill people, and he's kind of neutered, so to speak, in this episode because Osira doesn't want anybody harmed, so he's just kind of like walking around and like mm-hmm. trying to 
be scary, but you're not really scared of him because he doesn't have ultimate authority here. Um, but maybe next episode, when if uh, Syrah feels spurned and you know starts taking it out on uh, the remaining Discovery crew, maybe he'll be you know a little bit more evil seeming again. But I that that the portrayal of that character is interesting because he's almost kind of like whatever about it. <laughs> I kind of enjoy it a little bit where it's just like. Whatever, I'm I'm evil. Deal with it. Uh, but again, he just doesn't have that edge when he's not allowed to like, <laughs> like, <laughs> just kill characters willy nilly. But uh, anyway, I, that, so they bring me him back, and then the other thing I'll say is uh, the I think the um, merchandise people talked to the showrunners and said the Discovery merchandise isn't selling nearly enough. This baby Yoda thing is big, <laughs> and we need we need some cute little baby looking things. And I'm like, I don't know. What if we give you baby robots that are look like Wall? Or actually, they kind of look like a blend between Wally and and uh, Eve or Eva. I can't remember what the other character's name is. Um, and we kind of mash them together. And they have the sphere data in it, so they're actually useful and interesting. It's like, all right, let's do it. And there's three of them, so you have to buy three different characters. <laughs> you know, that's the, that's like having three baby Yodas. <laughs> I don't know if that was part of the discussions, but I just thought it just was funny to me at the end of the episode. I was like, what is this? What is happening? Why are there cutesy little robots? All yeah, I laughed when I when they came out. Uh, we'll see if they can make it work or not. I'm uh, I'm keeping an open mind, but. <laughs> Yeah, well, I like it that they're actually they're finally doing something with like kind of the the ship AI that they've set up. Um, I did find it was weird that they got rid of like I guess essentially the operating system of Discovery, but then there was like this small part left that was a, supposedly the sphere data and like, well, how much how much size is it taking up? And I expected them to say like it's taking up half of our, the memory or something because it's like the whole sphere data and it's an AI and it's like self-aware and everything. It's like oh, it's not, it's taking up barely anything. And like I'll oh, just shut it off. It's like that seems weird. It's a low-res black and white movie from the Earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. and I guess they wanted to maybe establish that it could fit on the memory core or whatever on these little robots or whatever. So I like that they're doing something with that storyline because I've been waiting for them to do something with that and it seems like maybe this ai character or three of them i guess there's three of them unless it's one controlling three bodies is going to maybe be more of a character on the show which i think could be interesting so uh so yeah i just thought it was funny how they had the big eyes and they were like very cutesy looking <laughs> yeah uh, so anyway uh i we both seem to think that this was a great episode but how many bees do you give it i i am i am so close to giving it zero but but I'm just worried <laughs> about how I'm gonna feel after next week. Like I, you, you feel like your zero beige may be betrayed. Yeah, I'm gonna give it half a beige, Ooh, or half, half, a beige. half to one. Yeah, it's okay. it, it was really good. Like I said, I think it was one of the best, if not the best, episodes of Discovery. I really dug it. Great episode. I, I'm, I hope so much that they stick the landing because I feel like the first two seasons have both had um, frustrating season finales and i hope uh season three can 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 keep everything they did in this episode and bring it into the bring it into a strong finish yeah i'm i'm there with you i think i'll give it one beige uh not only was it exciting and entertaining because you know kind of an action ep episode 
but you know like you said overturned your expectations in multiple ways it wasn't just one thing they did it uh more than once where you're just like oh okay i guess this is not going to go how i thought and i just i just think that's exciting and it's kind of paying off some of the early earlier parts of the season and i expect maybe that's where they're going with the next episode i don't know how they would get there i don't know how they're going to like fix the the uh mushroom drive is the only thing that can get you anywhere but because i don't you know she called uh michael called out to her mother so like maybe the the vulcans and romulans show up it's kind of or maybe just her mom or so i don't know it, it kind of just seems like the the characters you've met earlier in the season are going to come and help in the la in the finale or something you know now the earth people are coming and uh, like all the desperate di the disparate uh, aspects of the old Federation coming together to help in the last episode, but you know, see maybe... that's, that's, that was my concern, and that's not earned. They didn't earn that, yeah, right. Like this season has not earned. There's nothing they've done that would indicate that should happen. That that is a logic. But when she sent that message, yeah, I was like, oh no, 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 no. Kind of like how season two, when you had the Kelpians all of a sudden show up, and it's like, wait, these people were basically like. <laughs> a slave species that was being eaten <laughs> like yes. and now they're strong enough to feel the fleet to stop the the control like uh i don't know i i, I hope they don't go there with next episode uh, we'll see i th this episode well, they great. would have to like jump through a lot of hoops to make that happen with how would they all get there at the same time and why would they all be willing to fight for the federation that they've turn their backs on and yeah, there's a lot of problems with that so you know maybe they won't do that which yeah like you said wouldn't feel earned so uh, anyway so we one piece for me half a piece for you so we're going to turn to so i kind of tricked hugo a little bit i said on the podcast that we were going to uh watch wonder woman uh hugo watched it i did not um i did read like spoiler heavy plot descriptions and whatnot um, just because I was curious about it uh, I did I had the the intention of watching it I did subscribe to uh, HBO Max I just we never got around to it I was trying to watch it with someone else in my family or both my wife and daughter and they were watching Harry Potter all day yesterday for some reason um, so I didn't get around to it, and it doesn't feel like something that merits waiting another week to talk about because people seem to already <laughs> like are getting over it. Uh, it's got a 60% currently on Rotten Tomatoes, or at least the critic score. I think the fan score, or whatever the audience score is like 74, 75, something like that, which is fairly low for I think that score. Um, I just to go on a brief tangent. Uh, there's another podcast that I listen to that's a movie. They talk about movies. And one of the people on there is always kind of like dissing um, Rotten Tomatoes or basically just saying it doesn't matter, you know, what the Rotten Tomato score is. But this is a person who's essentially a professional movie critic and is going to watch every movie that they want to watch. And is that is part of their job and livelihood and their interest is to watch most movies that come out and certainly every movie that they're even remotely interested in. And so if that's the case, then yeah, you don't care about the Rotten Tomato score because you're going to watch all these things anyway and you don't want it to uh, influence you uh, in doing your job. But if you're just a regular Joe Schmo or Jane Schmo, it's actually helpful 
because like myself, you know, if you have uh, young kids or, you know, just whatever your situation is where, you're, well, especially now we can't go to movie theater. So maybe it's actually a little easier to watch things streaming, but you don't have a time, time to go to every single movie. Um, you know, it's the time and uh, money cost or, you know, kind of factor into things. So you want to know, like, is this movie going to at least be decent? Like it doesn't have, I don't need a, every movie to get like a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, but like, if you're hovering at 60%, that's not a good sign. And it's probably not something that I would go out of my way to watch, especially if it was in a, if a movie theater was the only way to see it, because that's a little bit you know more uh, of a, a journey to do that. Um, so I find it interesting that this movie is at like 60%. When I think the previous movie was maybe in the 90s, I, th I mean it was very well received. My, I'm going to set you up a little bit, Hugo, because you actually watched it. So my thought process going into this, seeing at first I thought it was maybe just the first review or two was something uh, were positive, and it's like, oh, this is getting good reviews, and I say, like, oh, maybe not. Um, so my thought is to tie it to the reboot Star Trek movies, which the very first movie got got good reviews. Everybody seemed to like it, both, you know, both kind of the audience um, and the critics. And I don't remember the scores or anything, but it was pretty high. And so I didn't see it immediately. And then when I did see it, I thought it was good, but overrated. I just like, this is pretty good, but it's not as good as people seem to think it was. I kind of had a similar thought with the original Wonder Woman. It's like, oh, this is pretty good. I like it, but I don't think I don't seem to like it as much as <laughs> other people do. It just doesn't seem to live up to those expectations. And But then the second Star Trek movie, the one with the Wrath of Khan, whatever they called it, uh, Into Darkness, um, people seemed to really churn on that movie and like really hated that movie. And I was like coming from the, the mind frame of like, oh, well, I was kind of disappointed by the first movie, so I'm going to shut my brain off a little bit. So now I get it. It's kind of like a popcorn uh, Star Trek movie. I'm just going to go in and be ready to just be entertained. And I thought that movie was very entertaining. Was it stupid? Yes, it was pretty stupid. And there's like different <laughs> moments that don't make sense um, that we could talk about, but that's not the point of the podcast. But So I was thinking, okay, maybe this movie... People set the the bar too high with the first movie that even that movie didn't really live up to, if you perhaps examined it closely. And then now this movie, people are just expecting too much. But if you kind of go in with like your brain halfway shut off, it's actually kind of entertaining and not as bad as they say. That was my, I didn't get to test that uh, theory because I didn't watch it. But I guess my ultimate question is, is it as bad as they say it is, Hugo? And what's your take on it? Well, that's a great setup, Dave, because <laughs> I, I, I guess I, I, don't, I don't see how you could think this is a bad movie and enjoy other superhero movies, right? Mm. Like, that's the thing. It's a superhero movie. So if you like superhero movies, <laughs> it's, it's enjoyable. <laughs> mm -hmm. And if you don't, it doesn't do much to change your opinion of superhero movies. That's yeah. my capsule review. <laughs> um, going a little more deeply with, with spoilers now, um, it, it, it it's long, and uh, it has stuff that, you know, is kind of dumb. <laughs> but again, 
every superhero movie has dumb stuff in it. Like I love superhero movies, but they have dumb stuff in them, right? Like they're 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 just most most of them are pretty dumb. I I guess I would say this, um, excluding Batman films, this movie is the best DC uni- modern DC universe film, with the exception of the first Wonder Woman. Like. Mm. That I is think kind it's kind of a low bar, but it's a very low bar. But it's it's a lot better than Justice League, a lot what, better than Batman vs Superman. What about did you ever see um, Birds of Prey? Because that's that's one of the actually. If you just if you take away the now that I'm thinking out loud, if you take away the the Batman movies, I think that might be the only like current DC movie that I have seen. Did you ever see wow. that one? Yeah, I did see it, and I thought that was like pretty good like i thought it was entertaining it wasn't perfect but it, it was i i enjoyed my time with it like so is it like that level or better than that i, I would say it's like that level that that's okay. actually a good in that i saw birds of prey and i was i wanted a lot more mm-hmm. from the premise and from that movie um i probably wouldn't go back and see it again yeah. but but it wasn't terrible like yeah. Uh, it wasn't like unwatchable. <laughs> I know this is a very tepid <laughs> review for everyone. Um, I, I will say I enjoyed Wonder Woman eighty four more than I did Birds of Prey, and okay. and I think part of that is because my 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 main problem with the with the modern um, DC universe films is how dark they are yeah. with characters that are not inherently dark. Yeah. And and Wonder Woman eighty four gets the character and gets her optimism. Which is, I think, why people like the first one so much. Like, and I think that's why people liked it more than... I, again, I don't want to sound like I disliked the first movie, but I think people liked it a little bit more than it was warranted because it stood out from the crowd of DC, of, of DC movies, at least at that time. I know the, um, the Shazam movie, I think, was a little bit more... I didn't see that one, but I think that was supposed to be a little bit more positive and fun. And I think people saw this uh, Wonder Woman movie after all the Snyder movies, and they're like, oh, this is fun. This is a little lighter, and she's like actually optimistic and you know a superhero you can kind of look up to. And you know, I think people responded to that. Yeah, and this, and this movie, like the last one, captured her very well. Um, she... You know, one of the main criticisms the the Superman, the Zack Snyder Superman movie had was like all these civilians are just dying and buildings are getting blown up and Superman just doesn't care, like doesn't even stop to think about them. And in this one, you know, she, it, both Wonder Woman and the film go out of their way to show how careful and cognizant she is of not just innocent life, but even of like bad guys' lives and well beings. Like she, she's. It, it was kind of impressive how much effort it put into showing. There's a couple moments where Wonder Woman's like, you know, take care of this person, or like, and a couple of action scenes where a huge thrust of the action is not Wonder Woman kicking butt, but Wonder Woman figuring out creative ways to save people who are about to die mm. in the middle of a fight. And and I thought that was really cool. Um, I, you know, I will say like I, I don't want to go into all the criticisms I have of it because again, it's it's a superhero movie. Like you either accept it or you don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'll just say a few positive things. I I thought. The action sequences were really well done. One of the main problems I have with a lot of superhero movies and action movies in general um, is how muddy fight scenes are. In that, you know, they often they're like bam, 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 and it's really hard to figure out what's going on or or how the fighting is flowing or where it's taking place. And um, Patty Jenkins here in this film like does a an amazing job I felt of showcasing 
um, the exact flow of, of fights, of, of, of where the of, of maintaining the physicality and the geography of a fight scene. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you always are aware, and it's always very clear where a character is and where objects are in a fight and how they're moving and flowing within the fight, which it, it kind of surprised me because I was like, whoa, like, I'm just not used to that. Like, a lot of superhero movies and action movies. So you're saying uh, it's not like that episode of Game of Thrones where it's literally in the dark for the entire episode <laughs> and you literally cannot see what characters are currently on screen and what's happening? This is certainly a lot better than that. <laughs> or, or, or uh, you know, any Abrams movie like, um, you know, Rise of Skywalker where you have this finale and you have no idea, like, like, X-Wings come out of nowhere, Star Destroyers are here, things are blowing up, but you have no idea why anything's happening or where anything is or, or you know, like, it's just it's just a big mess. And and here, I'm very excited, actually, after watching this movie, this is, this is what I'll say, I'm very excited after watching this movie to see what she does with Rogue Squadron because I think she's going to do a great job of showing really well done um, uh, space combat scenes. Mm-hmm. Um with with fighters and with yeah. fighters you know a huge part of like fighter combat um in the classic sense i mean the modern day in the modern real world it's just like you launch missiles at long range without seeing each other mm-hmm. <laughs> but but in the sort of the classic you know george lucas being inspired by world war ii dogfights sense the the ge- the geography the physical location of of the ships is really important to making them sort of um, dramatic and epic, like how the ships maneuver, how they go past each other, you know, how you're searching for each other as you do loops, loops and rolls, and you know, you're, you're tracking the other pilots and trying to outmaneuver them and get on their six. I think if she can do what she did in this movie with 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 space combat scenes like that, I think Rogue Squadron is going to be really cool to watch. So I, I think that's my review. Is it was fine, but I'm really excited to see Rogue Squadron. Now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I will. So I ha- I haven't seen the movie. But I did read like uh, a spoiler-filled synopsis. So on paper, the plot actually sounds interesting. So I know part of the criticism is that it's too long. So it sounds like all these parts don't come together. You know, they don't gel necessarily. But on paper, it's kind of interesting because to me, one of the best parts of the first one was actually Chris Pine, which is a little surprising. Um, because he's not Wonder Woman. It actually, to me, it was a little bit of a problem that that one of the the best parts is not in your main character. Which is not to say that Wonder Woman didn't also shine. But I just maybe it's just the 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 two actors just have really good chemistry. Whatever it was, I was surprised that Chris Pine in the first movie had as much screen time, and then also was just like the screen time he did have was so enjoyable because I'm not even really a Chris Pine fan, which is not to say I dislike him, but you know, I'm the other part that I know him and most people know him for is Captain Kirk, of course. And I just think his Captain Kirk is fine. I just don't know that he does as much with that character as I, you would think an actor would do with, you know, maybe it's hard to get out of the, the shadow of Shatner, but I think it's so, so anyway, I like that part of the first movie, but of course, he dies, you know, by the end of the first movie. So I think they're sitting back it's like, well, this movie, the first one was a very big success. And it's, you know, part of that was Chris Pine's character. 
how could we possibly get this character back? And they wanted to set it a little bit later. And I think that was cool, the setting in the 80s. You know, it's not current times yet, but we're showing the character, uh, you know, progress through the ages and she doesn't age. And, you know, I thought that was an interesting idea to set it then. And like, how could we bring Chris Pine back? Oh, we're going to have this like essential, essentially magic crystal that grants wishes. Mm -hmm. And that's going to bring him back. It's like, okay, that's ridiculous, but it's a comic book movie. And I think that's fun. I think it's fun when the comic book movies lean into that a little bit not to say that every movie needs to do that but like also every movie doesn't need to be grim dark or super serious um and then i think that's interesting because once you establish this like wishing rock then that makes it uh that is kind of a cool entry into the cheetah character and i will say that i don't read the wonder woman comics i don't know a lot about cheetah or how she's uh her origin story in the comic books or anything but the fact that I always found it weird that the nemesis of Wonder Woman is like this cheetah woman. Like Wonder Woman's like a goddess. Like why is this cheetah woman like <laughs> her her nemesis? But the as from what I understand from the plot is she basically wants to be Wonder Woman's equal, and that's kind of what she wishes for. So she basically gets Wonder Woman's powers, and it seems like Wonder Woman is losing her powers because Chris Pine is back, and that's part of the monkey's paw of it all. And so to me, on paper, that really works because it kind of makes the Cheetah character work. Like, where did this Cheetah lady come from? Oh, she wished to... Be, be more than she is, but she's losing her humanity in the process. And, but that, so it almost seems like maybe they should have just went with that and fleshed, fleshed out the cheetah storyline more. But then you have this Maxwell Lord character who I know, like, again, I don't know the comic book super well, but I know he is like a super villain who is more a cerebral type super villain who's kind of pulling this, this, the strings behind the scenes kind of guy. And maybe they do that a little bit differently in this one. Apparently, um, Mando's performance in this is it was like uh, you know enjoyable just that he's really letting it fly um but it's but having the full two villains you know that's kind of a doesn't always work and that's kind of where they go in comic book sequels sometimes and so was was that your take that maybe they had individual threads that's that on paper seem interesting but then when you get them all together it's just kind of too much it's too jumbled yeah i mean part of it yeah it just it it, it uh, you know they're both they have good actors in both both those roles both the villain roles um but it, it does get a little jumbled although it 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 weaves in together fine at the end um and it's and it's certainly i mean to be fair it's certainly no more jumbled than say um what was a dark knight um the dark knight one with um you know, Joker and Two Face. I, I it, it kind of reminded me of that. Um, it was less effective, but it, it kind of reminded me of that, where you kind of have you know mm -hmm. these two villains interweaving their stories into each other. Yeah. So, yeah, it just it's just it's you know I, I thought the two villains was fine. It is it is for some reason a comic book thing now to have two villains. Yeah. Um, Maxwell Lord gets a very good arc. I, I did like. I, I really liked the ending to the movie. It, it was cheesy. But I liked it. I thought it really fit the it fit the story and the era and the character very well. Um, so okay. Well, we don't need to to beat a dead horse. Uh, so Hugo did the good work. He watched the movie. So how I can't give it a bees rating, but you can. So how many bees? Oh man! Did you experience from Wonder Woman eighty four? Uh, 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 you know it. 
probably like four beige. Like four okay. it, it's you know, it was it was a little it was it was watchable. So it was it was it was fun, but not not great. Not a great movie by any means. So yeah. four, four beige. So it's kind of like if you already have the the service, the, the you know, might as well watch it, but maybe not worth subscribing just to see it. That's fair. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. Well, we're we're about an hour, but I wanted to maybe uh, talk. In our previous episode, we mentioned the kind of the future of the Mandalorian, but it was more in the context of the future of Star Wars shows on Disney Plus, and kind of how there's so many, and where will they kind of big picture go with that and i want to take a little bit time at the end here to kind of discuss where we think the mandalorian specifically in its plot line because i think that's kind of what we intended to do at least touch on that um where do we think it's going because at the end of the season obviously grogu is with luke skywalker and we assume luke is this is part of luke setting up his like jedi academy and grogu is he's going to be a pupil there which seems to shut the door on the Grogu storyline, which I think we mentioned on the pod for that episode. It's pretty surprising because that was the breakout character. He's the, all the merchandise is based on him. Um, so I guess I'd start there. What do you think? Do you think Grogu, his storyline's really closed? I guess the option there is no, he's going to be a bigger part than maybe we think in the next season somehow however they work that out or we're not going to see him again essentially or we will see him but it's going to be like a standalone episode like like we have kind of standalone ahsoka episodes it's going to be like the grogu episode next season or something like that what's what's your take on because that was such a big part of that was a two-season arc of of reuniting grogu i thought with his his species but apparently his people are the jedi i we still don't get to see what the planet Yoda looks like, but maybe in a future episode we will. But where where do you think that's going? That kind of storyline. I think the only the only things that make sense to me really are um, they either do a time jump, right? Like mm. we come back, we get like an episode of Mando like moping around without baby Yoda, and then it time jumps and and Grogu's back from Jedi training, mm-hmm. um, or 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 the show just kind of takes its time and goes in a different direction. I I think they've set themselves up very well to have a, a season or two of the reclamation of Mandalore. Yeah, uh, it definitely you, seems to be where it's going. Yeah, yeah, they've got all the pieces together there for that, and and they've got it in such a way too that it it it's still going to be full of tension with uh, Bo-Katan and Mando sort of you know. Uh, all this tension over the the dark saber, but Bo-Katan still wanting to liberate Mandalore. We've got all the lore about that, all the background of that. Um, you know, Moff Gideon's still alive, so he might even be used, you know, as 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 someone to to help them do that <laughs> forcibly. Um, I, that's the main arc I see them taking. I don't really see any. I don't really see where else the show goes if it doesn't go with, you know, given where 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 Grogu is now. Yeah. And given where what we set up, where where else it might go. Well, especially since yeah, Grogu's out of the picture as far as we know. And it the show is called The Mandalorian. So now we're going to probably deal with you know, Mandalorian. Obviously him being raised as a Mandalorian and in part of the watch and you know, he's kind of a different sect and he meets other Mandalorian characters this season. So it's it's always been uh, steeped in the Mandalorian 
aspects of you know Star Wars. So I think they'll continue on with that. But also because they have so many other Star Wars shows and ones that are like uh, concurrent with it, like the Boba Fett, which seems like it might lead into the third season of the Mandalorian, but then you have the Ahsoka. So in other words, Ahsoka name dropping, uh, what's his name? Thrawn. You might think, oh, that's setting up Thrawn as a future villain of the Mandalorian. But well, now she has her own show. So Thrawn's probably going to be a villain on her show or, you know, maybe behind the scenes sort of thing. Who knows? So Mandalorian kind of has its uh, Mandalorian uh, niche where it's, that seems like what it's going to be dealing with because it doesn't have, it's not going to be the only show anymore that where it, it's wide open to deal with anything. I think it is going to deal with the dark saber and reclaiming uh, their planet, their home planet. And it's kind of setting up tension between uh, the Mando and Bo-Katan and It'll be interesting to see where it goes and if it tie if it continues to tie in with Ahsoka and Boba Fett and to what extent it does with that. Um, and if uh, if Grogu comes back, you know, I think it will be kind of more of a little side one-off sort of thing. So, but yeah, well, we'll so that's see. kind of our final thoughts on that. And the only thing I'll just to follow up on a uh, uh, previous topic. So I have. Uh, Finished Cyberpunk 2077. Um, I'm not going to go into detail because Hugo hasn't played it, but I will say that I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, so if anybody who's listening is into RPGs, um, obviously it's had its issues, so I would not play it on a previous generation console because that seems to be the biggest problems. I can't, I'm assuming it's better on a current, you know, next gen console. I can't speak to that, but I did play it on PC and I don't have like a super top of the line PC. I did, you know, piece together a new PC a few months ago, but I always kind of go for bang of bang for your buck components. I can't tell you what's in it because I don't really know. I just kind of go, it's usually like a pretty, so like a graphics card that would like, pretty good from like a generation ago or something like that so i always kind of so in other words if i can play it without hiccups on my system then you'll probably be okay if you have a somewhat modern system and i just thought it was a lot of fun there are you know there are some rough patches here and there and just in terms of you know uh, nothing that i'm not used to in like modern games where things get patched out into the future and they just have to release at a certain schedule i'm assuming just because that's how they make their money and so if you're kind of used to that you know i think what you don't want to see is just game breaking bugs which i didn't run into um that might not be everybody's experience so you know maybe you want to wait for more patches or whatever but I was able to play through it um, with only the first couple of patches, and I didn't have any, any like game-ending problems. Thought it was a lot of fun, so much fun, in fact, that I went back to Witcher Three, which Hugo is playing. Um, I bought that. I mean, I think that came out in 2015, uh, and I bought that for Xbox, um, the uh, the previous Xbox. And I ended up giving my system away, so I had to rebuy it. But you know, obviously, it's less expensive now, and I'm enjoying Witcher Three a lot more 
after playing Cyberpunk. It's the same developer, obviously. But when I, I guess I just wasn't in the right mindset for Witcher 3 the first time around. It felt like the world was too big. But after playing Cyberpunk, very much feels like a game from the same developer. Obviously, the setting is very different. But it got me in the mindset of like finishing Cyberpunk. I enjoyed it so much. But I'm not the type of player who goes back and does all the... I mean, I do all the main quests, all the... I don't know what you want to call them. Secondary quests that have like, you know, cutscenes and... Uh, NPCs and stuff, and then there's kind of the lowest level, which is just you know, steal this from somebody and, you know, fetch quests and things like that. They have a bunch of those scattered throughout the map, and there was a time in my life where I felt like I needed to do every single thing to feel like a game was completed, but, you know, now I'm 40 years old with a family, and I, I can't do that anymore, so I do all the bigger quests for sure, but now, but I want, having finished that game, it's like, oh, well, I enjoyed that so much. I'm back into Witcher 3, which has obviously pa been patched <laughs> to, you know, to full completion and it's not going to have any sort of bugs. So, I guess if you haven't played Witcher 3, you could play I think everybody has, but you could play that one to whet your appetite for Cyberpunk while you wait for it to be uh patched, which I think is exactly what Hugo is doing. He's finishing up Witcher 3 first. So, um Anyway, that was just my follow-up to that, and um, uh, maybe it, it'll be weird to have a Witcher 3 pod five years after it was released, but that's a game we're actually playing at the same time. Uh, but I enjoyed it partly because the world overworld map uh, in Witcher 3 isn't quite as big as I was led I was fearing at first. Like when you start moving around, it's not. Um, this maybe sounds like a backhanded compliment. It doesn't feel as it's not as big as it feels from like the overworld map and stuff which is good to me i want to feel like i can get around and not feel overwhelmed and i i want to be able to get my arms around a game and feel like okay i can fit this into my life and be able to complete it and you know get get through the storylines and all the the major secondary storylines and all everything like that so anyway so where is that your plan hugo are you gonna beat witcher 3 first that's that's I'm I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a well. Do you have the the because they also have the um the expansions. Yeah, the expansion. Yeah. I've so yeah. The so there's probably a lot of content to play through <laughs> before you get to uh, uh, Cyberpunk. So anyway, um, I I will give Cyberpunk a B's rating because I'm not gonna go into um uh storylines or anything because Hugo hasn't played it and people who are playing it might not have finished it yet, but um i will give it two beige um part i would probably again this is coming from someone who's not given a zero beige rating for anything yet i would probably give it one beige but i'm kind of in solidarity for the people who are having problems with it and i don't think that can be overlooked because that you know you can't release a game that people who buy it can't play it so i'm giving it a beige Although I didn't experience that problem, it's I'm lowering its score, maybe unfairly, um, but I, I I will give it two beach because it's just a really fun modern um, RPG. Um, so two beach for me, and I think that'll bring us to the end of this episode. Uh, you have to tune in next time because it's the finale of Discovery. We'll discover together how they wrap things up, hopefully in a exciting way, and we'll be here to talk about it. So thanks for listening.
of all the starships, in all the galaxies, in all the universes, I had to choose this one. Wow. <sighs>